0: requirements
1: are 12 family photo albums, 9 personal diaries, 17 love letters, assorted childhood photographs, 26 novels, IVs, and secrets.
2: Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's movie episode time. Our weekly movie episode, and since last week was a horror movie, this one is a sci-fi movie. Although one could argue this fits into the category of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, romance.
0: Yeah, drama.
2: Drama. I'm not really sure there is a category you couldn't make an argument for, for Dark City. But for our purposes, we're going to label it as a sci-fi, which is a bit of a spoiler, actually, if you think about it.
0: Yeah, because I think IMDb her. Or- TVDB or whatever, has it labeled as sci-fi noir.
2: Yeah, noir I would definitely agree with. This is very much...
0: It's like a hyper noir vibe.
2: Yeah, feeling the film noir vibe, which I always like. So I'm fine with it, Uh, but it is dark. It is attempted 90s gritty. I mean, we got a lot going on in this movie. It's really really atmospheric that's how i would describe it they definitely create a tone and then they stick to the tone through the whole
0: absolutely movie noir and then the creepy stuff is creepy
2: we've even got the gritty lonely detective dedicated to his work
0: william hurt
2: william hurt yeah
0: he pulls it off
2: so this is okay we'll just get started Um, Hi, I'm Rachel.
0: And I'm Matt.
2: Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we're doing Dark City, which was released in 1998.
0: Ooh, I thought that number was going to be smaller.
2: <laughs> One year before The Matrix, which, as I noted in my Instagram trivia, uh, several of the set pieces from this, a lot of the sets from this movie were sold and reused for The Matrix.
0: A lot of the concepts. Of this movie were reused <laughs> the in Matrix. the Matrix. Oh, a little
2: bit, yeah. <laughs> um, it's directed by Alex Proyas. Proyas? Sure. We're going to go with Proyas. Uh, he also directed iRobot, The Crow, and the Rick Springfield music video, Honeymoon in Beirut. <laughs> Which, considering Rick Springfield was in Nick Knight, and Forever Night* is the other series that we're working on, I think that's a good tie-in.
0: Yeah, Alex is pretty close to Forever Night.
2: Yeah, so he went from Rick Springfield to Dark City. It's a bit of a leap. And The Crow, which arguably The Crow is as much a noir film, a genre noir film as this one is.
0: Yeah, I'd say The Crow is probably even darker and grittier, grungier.
2: Yeah, tone-wise. Dark City. Yeah, we like movies where people wear trench coats. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of trench coats in the movies we watch.
0: I hadn't noticed.
2: And now you have.
0: And now I will.
2: (laughs) It was also written by David Goyer, uh, who wrote Man of Steel. Okay. Jumper, which I think is an underrated movie. And The book
0: was way better.
2: Yeah, but the movie's not bad. movie's not bad. I think we were just, it's like Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body, we were all caught up in our dislike or overness of Megan Fox. And then when Jumper came out, we were all kind of over hating Christensen because he just Maybe. ruined the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And we were all kind of like, Yeah, we're not we're not here to see you right now. And him being in another movie was a little bit like, meh. That's my feelings on Jumper. Is it was so he was such an of the time actor. It was hard to see it with unclouded lenses. And I think right. if we I, watched, I it don't now, like feel the, differently.
0: Uh, not to drift off topic, but
2: It's fine, drift away. For
0: Jumper, my main, uh, I guess, negative criticism was that the the like church organization that hunted um, the jumpers yeah. seemed pretty contrived.
2: Well, yeah. That's fair. It's a pretty shallow premise. And
0: it doesn't exist at all in the books.
2: And David Goyer also wrote Blade,
0: just to Mm. bring it
2: back, which is the movie that saved the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. So those are all good credits. Uh, But yeah, this movie, we've seen this movie. This is not a movie we haven't seen. This is one of our favorites. Yeah, it's definitely a perennial favorite. But we did not know that there was a director's cut which we watched the director's cut for this.
0: Yes. And one
2: of the things I loved is they omitted the opening monologue. So we do not get our Kiefer Sutherland monologue at the beginning. The spoiler-full monologue... Yeah. ...that kind of kills all the twists in the movie. It's like, okay, this is kind of suspenseful, and we want to alleviate, alleviate that a little bit, so... Let me go ahead and tell you all the twisty turnies that you're about to come up against.
0: It probably polled well.
2: Well, I when was when they were
0: doing like test audiences.
2: I was reading another article about this, and Alex was saying that uh, with test audiences, the reviews were so mixed. He knew he was making a movie that was like a cult classic, like that only certain people were going to vibe with the dark city. Right. Uh, vibe.
0: It uh. It evokes a strong reaction, yeah, one way or the other. It
2: does, yeah. It's the um, was it Napoleon Dynamite index, yeah, where people have extreme reactions to Napoleon Dynamite. Nobody is in the middle on Napoleon Dynamite. You yeah. either absolutely love it or you absolutely hate it, and there is no middle ground. You read me a psychology paper. About the... Uh, yes,
0: the Napoleon Dynamite effect.
2: Yeah, the Napoleon Dynamite yeah. effect. Yeah, that's that's similar, uh, I guess. But we love Dark City. I like Dark City. We I watched it a lot when it first came out because my sister was obsessed with Rufus Sewell. Sewell? Sewell?
0: Oh, she was. Was that pre or post Keanu?
2: Keanu's her main flame, but Rufus was on the side, so to speak. Uh, so we watched it a lot for him, which he was a relatively unknown actor when this came out. This is his first kind of breakout role, Uh, but we don't see him yet. After we get kind of our stars at the beginning, which is very pensive and thoughtful when Kiefer Sutherland isn't talking over them, Mm -hmm. we pan down through like a cityscape. Yes. And it's deliberately distorted.
0: Yes, everything's a very out of proportion and distorted yeah. Perspective. Deliberately
2: not 90 degree angles, deliberately harshly lit, deliberately anachronistic, deliberately surreal. That yep. basically describes the sets for all of this movie because we're trying to set up this surrealist, anachronistic. It's an
0: ambiguous time period.
2: Yeah, you don't know where you are, when you are, anything. And so as we pan down, we get to Kiefer Sutherland. And Kiefer Sutherland checks his watch, kind of smiles, t- puts his watch away, and tucks it in his pocket. And on Instagram, I teased that we were going to be putting in something special now in episodes. So that is what I already do when we're watching the movie, which is tell Matt what vampire movies everybody's been in.
0: Oh, okay. Yes, you so, mentioned that to me. Yeah, yeah. So everywhere.
2: I'm going to go ahead and we'll start here. This is right. this is low-hanging fruit. I bet Matt can tell me what vampire movie Kiefer Sutherland has been oh, in. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, Toy Story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's it. Get out of the house. <laughs> Your suitcase is in the at- you, you know what to do. Go.
0: Well, that's easy. That's The Lost Boys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Iconic. I fucking conic The Lost Boys. Uh, so we pan down. Uh, and then we get Rufus Sewell. We see him in a bathtub and the light is swinging, which this is a cool tie in that we do from here to later when we're getting some more backstory about what happened right before Rufus Sewell wakes up. Um, The light swinging is important to note and he's in a bathtub and the water is unfortunately opaque (laughs) because we're doing a top down thing here and his forehead is bleeding. And this sets us up for this journey that this character is going to go on, where we and he are all discovering who he is and what the fuck is going on all at the same time. Yes. So he's our point of view character through the whole movie. He is
0: our audience proxy for this world.
2: Yeah, he is, and we are going to walk his steps as he tries to figure out what is happening. So, the first thing he does is get out of this bathtub and slip on the floor, and he breaks a bowl that has a fish in it. And he deliberately picks the fish up and puts it in the bathtub. Yep. Which wouldn't necessarily save the fish, depending on how sensitive the fish is. But hey, we'll just, he saves the fish. Isn't that nice? And then we get this kind of protracted scene where he's. Picking up his shoes, but then looking at his shoes like he's never seen them before, and rifling through the clothes that right. are in the in the wardrobe, and he pulls out a suitcase and it's got well, the, the initials. Well, the clothes
0: were all stacked up on the chair in the bathroom.
2: Well, the ones that he was going to wear, but he yeah. also goes through like oh, the back yeah. back clothes that he's unpacked into the wardrobe. Yeah, and he pulls out his suitcase and it has the letters K H on it. And he's just—it's like he's discovering this room for the first time, even though he was just naked in this bathtub. So this is our first hint that um, he may not be completely aware of his surroundings. Right. And this is Rufus Sewell, who, by the way, played a vampire in the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie. It—it it, it happened. I know we all don't want to think it happened, but there wasn't. There, see it, there so. was an Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie, and he was in it. We also get a flash of this really creepy looking syringe. Which these syringes are so creepy. I think because they're insect like.
0: Yeah, they have that exoskeleton like uh the part of the shell that
2: like pops open. Pops
0: open to let the wings out. Yeah. It has those movable parts on it.
2: Yeah, and I think it's And they
0: have a very organic feel.
2: Right. And I think that's part of like what makes them so creepy. And it's hopefully deliberate is this the fact that they look like bugs. They look like an insect that's going to sting you, but it's a syringe. And we don't know what's in it, but it's broken. So I guess nothing's in it. And then he gets a phone call. And this phone call is from Kiefer Sutherland. And Kiefer gives us this real quick exposition dump. He's like, I know you don't know what's going on, but there was an experiment. Um, Something went wrong.
0: All your memories are gone. All
2: your memories are gone. But if you find me, I I can help you. And the guy on the phone, the our Rufus Sewell character whose name we don't have yet, is like, I don't what what? What what are you what are you talking about? And then he looks over and there's a dead body on the floor.
0: Yeah, and, and so he stumbles back and then he knocks a bloody knife off of the table.
2: Yeah. And this is our first instance of the spiral, which is gonna be a consistent theme in this movie as well. She has spirals carved into her. And he's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. This is shit's too weird. He grabs
0: his suitcase.
2: Set, grabs his suitcase and dips. He heads yeah. out. And his room is actually room number 614, which is supposed to reference a Bible verse about the coming of the Savior. Just so yeah. you know. The One. <laughs> the One, exactly. <laughs> I feel like a lot of movies in this period we were talking about The One, we had The Matrix. Where he was the one.
0: Neoplatonism was big.
2: We had the one, the movie The One. Yeah. And then we have this one where he is like the one who can save them all. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you that this was a big period for like the savior figure. Yeah. In movies.
0: So he goes out into the hallway and to his right, uh, there's a door and you see silhouettes in the door. And so the door starts to open, yeah. and he crosses the hallway, and we see some people in trench coats
2: Yeah, people in trench out. coats, which apparently it's and a And they thing, didn't so. see
0: him cross the hallway.
2: No. And he runs down the stairs, and he does take a moment to stop and ask about himself at the front desk. He's like, well, how long have I been here? And the guy's like, three weeks. And in he, fact,
0: your rent is due.
2: Yeah, and he points at his name in the logbook. And, and it goes, says, Jay Murdoch. Yeah, he says, we keep our beds... Like we keep, or we keep, I keep my books like we keep our rooms all neat and tidy. And it just says Jay Murdoch on it. And he's like, uh, okay, sure. Thanks. And the guy's like, oh, by the way, the Automat called and you left your wallet there. Yep. So he leaves. He's got to go. He he
0: tells him that rent is due. And if he doesn't pay it, he won't have the room anymore. Yeah.
2: They're going to kick him out. The only thing that counts here is cash on the barrel head. Yep. Yeah. And then we actually see the creepy guys again, because that fellow, immediately after John Murdoch, Jay Murdoch, leaves, he goes upstairs to inspect the room. And he's like, three weeks is three weeks. And when he goes inside, the creepy people that we saw through the window earlier are now inside the room. Yep. And they're like, Mr. Murdoch, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr.
1: Murdoch, yes. Where is he? He he just left not five minutes ago.
2: <laughs> Which this speech pattern gets copied pretty um, often in our house as a comedic quote. You do this now. Yes, this yes. is one of the
0: <laughs> most quoted movies in our household.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, especially the weird way that the strangers speak where they end everything with yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you do this now. Yes. Uh, and then we cut to Jennifer Connelly. like As
0: like a lounge singer.
2: She looks so good in this movie. I think I mentioned like four or five times when we were watching this. I was <laughs> like, holy crap. She looks amazing in this movie. Uh, it's really, she just looks really nice in this movie. But she's singing. She's apparently a lounge singer. And I don't know. Do you think this is actually Jennifer Connolly singing?
0: Maybe not this song. But the next time she's singing... And William Hurt slash Bumstead is just sitting at the bar watching her. Uh, I th- it felt more like that was her natural singing voice.
2: Yeah. And Jennifer Connolly was in The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves, who is a vampire. In real life. But she was also in Love and Shadows with Antonio Banderas, who, of course, is the vampire Armand in the interview with the vampire movie with Brad Pitt. So you're welcome for that, but she gets off work and she gets sort of accosted by Kiefer Sutherland's character, who is Doctor well, Schreiber. Not, not yet,
0: not yet. As while she's going to get changed out of whatever at work, um, her
2: painted-on dress.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the other girls, yeah, there stops her and says, "Hey,
2: oh, your husband's doctor called. Yeah, here's his card." Yeah. And so she gets his card, and she's like, okay, well. So she calls him. I'm going to go see him. Well, She ends up going to see him. Oh, she sees him in person. Because this yeah. is where we have the rats in the maze. He has this big circular yes. maze in the center of his room yeah. with rats in it. And he's like, oh, it's just part of an experiment I'm conducting.
0: No symbolism here Which at is all. Which is some heavy foreshadowing. fucking
2: foreshadowing here. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh yeah, you don't get it until in retrospect because are whole rats and the maze thing is pretty done. But this is some pretty heavy handed foreshadowing of what is going on in the city. Yep. And Dr. Schraber's role in it because he's also taking a stick and redirecting the rats. He's putting the stick. Yeah, he's in the actually maze.
0: putting the rats into the maze. Well, he's
2: put him in the maze and, and then he's poking them. Yeah, he's poking them to make them go in different directions. So hey, guys, that's exactly what he's actually doing. <laughs> well, that's a spoiler. You should have already watched the movie. Uh, so this is when we get William Hurt because she goes from there. She realized, she thinks her husband's just left her because if you're not John Murdoch, this is just regular day, everyday life. This is waking up, uh, never in the morning, but this is <laughs> living out your night every night, doing what you normally do, going to work, Whatever. Everybody else in this city, most of everybody else in this city is just living their lives. And so they're operating like it's just a regular city. So she thinks her husband's just left her because she cheated on him. He was angry. So he left her.
0: So she goes to file a missing persons report.
2: Right. And as soon as she tells them who her husband is, they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to want to talk to the detective.
0: Right. Because uh, the detectives have now been to the hotel room.
2: Yes, well, he had killed like, or he had quote quote. But this is the first time they got a name. Yes, yeah, they have a name for him.
0: So uh, I think I guess we skipped the scene where William Hurt looks goes to the hotel and makes the comment about now what kind of killer
2: saves a saves a goldfish. But he goes. We get our first image of William Hurt because they go back. They're at the hotel room or the long stay hotel or whatever and so they're kind of inspecting it because of course there was a dead body there so the police are there to inspect it and we find out that this isn't the first woman who was killed right and it wasn't the first woman that supposedly rufus sewell's character had killed and so bumstead walk bumstead is our gritty dispassionate Lives noir for his job, detective. noir detective. Yeah, and he, he walks into the bathroom and he's like, what kind of killer stops to save a dying gorgeous? Right. So he
0: immediately has suspicions about this room, Yeah, none of this it si- feels situation.
2: correct. And in fact, he also calls it when Emma Murdoch comes to report her husband missing. She's like, he asks her, are you guys newly married? And she goes, no, why do you ask? And he said, well, you, you look unaccustomed to your wedding ring.
0: You look like you're not used to wearing it. You look like you're not
2: used to wearing it, which, of course, she wasn't married to him until like the night before. So, yeah.
0: Foreshadowing.
2: Foreshadowing, which my question is, okay, so this is assuming knowledge, so this is a spoiler. There's a finite number of people in this city, and Kiefer Sutherland's character has been there since the beginning. Right. So he was young when they got there and he's still relatively young. So at most what maybe 15 years have passed.
0: Yeah. That's that was my estimation.
2: So we could have had maybe one generation and they would be 15. But we have a finite number of adults. Right. And it feels very odd that we would spend time or waste resources actually killing somebody to set up a murderer for this exper- experiment. When that's literally wasting a resource,
0: unless it was somebody that just died anyway,
2: or they have a way to go get more.
0: That's true. They could be getting um, uh, more people. And well,
2: they can manipulate physical them. reality. Could they create an actual dead body?
0: That's a very good point.
2: I don't know that they, they could, could create just create an inert a dead body. living person, but right. they could create an inert dead body. Okay, well, that's something to think about. Anyway, William Hurt was not ever in a vampire movie, unfortunately, and he has passed away. But he was in Winter's Tale with Colin Farrell, who was the vampire in the 2011 remake of Fright Night. Mm-hmm. I think we watched Winter's Tale. That's the one where, yeah, it's weird. He falls in love with that girl who has consumption and she has to stay cold or she's going to die. So I they haven't end seen up, it. Oh, they end up having sex and oh. she dies. And then he ends up just living... For the next hundred years. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird up by our standards. So you know it's weird. Gotcha. Uh, but when the police are there talking to the guy at the counter, it's a different guy. It's obviously a different guy. It's a black guy. Right. Or the other guy was white. And he has the same exact line. He says, I told him three weeks was three weeks.
0: And and the cash on the barrel headline.
2: And the cash on the barrel headline. So this is our first. Ooh, ooh,
0: wait what's going on hold
2: the fucking phone something weird is going on if you pick on it which you should pick up on it but
0: well this one you might not pick up on if you're not
2: there are a lot of subtle plays visual plays in this movie that the more you watch it the more you see them the better it gets and I liked a lot of what they added for the director's cut. It was really subtle. We didn't add huge chunks of scene or scenery or anything. We added right, it was
0: little scenes, little just scenes. here and there, just with extra dialogue mostly.
2: And they also redid the CG. Did you notice that? So when he does his tuning um, in the previous version, it was super like obvious, and oh, they made it I didn't far know they more redid subtle. The CG, yeah, they made it far more subtle, and it looks a lot better. It looks a yeah. lot less um, in your face. Yeah. Yeah. And they finally get his finger. Oh, no. He's looking at his fingerprints. He's looking at his finger. John is looking at his finger. And his fingerprint is actually a spiral.
0: Yeah, just a very consistent spiral.
2: And that scene where he's looking at his own fingerprint is not in the regular one. It's only in the director's cut. But okay, so gone- that's
0: to tie in with the scene that comes right after where Bumstead goes into the police station and somebody shows up and says, we got the fingerprint report back. Yeah. And he looks at it and says, is this this a joke? joke.
2: Yeah. But Murdoch is on his way to get his wallet from the laundromat. Because at this point... Automat. Automat. Thank you, Automat. Because at this point, he knows his name is Jay Murdoch. But he doesn't know if he's John or Jack or James or whatever. He just knows it's Jay. And so he's got to get his wallet if he wants to figure it out. Yep. So he goes to the automat, which the only other place I've seen anything like this is in the shape of water. (laughs) <laughs> Where they have the, there's items behind a glass. You can put in a coin or whatever and buy it. And each item is a different price. Yep. And so the guy just puts his wallet behind the glass. Well, <laughs> he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any way to get right, it.
0: You got his wallet, dude. Right. So this, this scene always felt a little weird to me. Because un- unless the, I don't know, what do you call the? The alien guys?
2: The strangers.
0: The strangers. Unless the strangers wanted him to go to the automat.
2: To find his. To get his
0: wallet back.
2: It could be part of it. Part of, part of, you know why? Probably because there was that sex worker outside the automat. So it was a way of causing them to intersect.
0: Oh, it, okay. I guess that it was a way to drive him to go walking the streets and yeah. interact with another woman um because the whole thing was to see if he would continue murdering people if he had the memories of murdering people yeah okay that's my guess
2: because she's immediately there as soon as he walks into the automat she's there right and he uses his ability that he doesn't know he has to break the glass and get his wallet when we kind of see it as like his eyes glow and we get this in the regular one, it's this very obvious kind of like, Ripple. looks like the water thing from the abyss, <laughs> the like water snake thing that comes yeah. up. Um, but in the director's cut, it's far more subtle. It just looks kind of like heat waves. Yeah. And he uses it to break the glass and get his wallet, which he doesn't question at all. Probably because he's oh, in, in survival. Yeah. It's in He's in survival mode, as Kate would say. He (laughs) he doesn't have the bandwidth to think about those kinds of things right now. Yeah. Uh, But at the automat. Yeah. So
0: he's leaving the automat and there's uh, some cops.
2: Yeah. And they're like, Sup, buddy.
0: Where are you headed? Where are
2: you headed? And he's like, Oh, you know, places.
0: No, he's, I'm just going home. Yeah. Oh, where's home? And that's when the lady comes in.
2: Her name is May. She comes in to, she's a sex worker. Just kind of save
0: him from rescue him from the cops, interrogating him. And also, hmm, he's not a bad-looking guy. Yeah. He'd make a good client. He
2: did just pick up a wallet. He's probably good to go. So she takes him back home. She's like, oh, he's with me, boys. And they're like, oh, hey, May. How's it going? (laughs) And so she takes him back home. Well,
0: she makes a comment about, you know, why are you guys sitting on your butts? Uh, You know there's a killer on the loose. You should be out looking for him. Yeah. When he is the killer. Right. Ostensibly.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> later she's like, well, you don't look like Which is a pretty ironic situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's taking a big risk for sure. But this is where we actually get more Bumstead at his office scene. Because they show him Wolinsky's office, which in my notes I said Walensky's office looks like Matt's.
0: There's, no, it's not as bad as mine.
2: There's, there's like <laughs> papers taped up. There's stacks of shit. Um, he's like, wow, uh, this is a lot. And Bumstead makes the comment, like, the only thing that, oh, he was committed to the case. And Bumstead oh, yeah. says the only thing that should be committed is Wolinski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, there's more insects in his office. There's insects at his house when we go there, and there's insects here. Which makes me wonder if this is supposed to be like a tie-in with the strangers, because they make that very insect-like noise where they click. And he's just got crap posted up all over the walls, and it looks really unhelpful. And so he is luckily interrupted by the arrival of Jennifer Connolly. And she's like, "Um, yeah, they told me to come back here and file a missing persons report." And he's like, "You do or that." They at told the me desk. to talk to you. He's like, "Go to the desk." And she's like, "No, my husband's name is John Murdoch." And he's like, "Oh. Yes. Yes, I do want to talk to you." And this is when they chat about her wedding ring. Yep. And he also hands her a list with names on it.
0: Like, do any of these names look familiar?
2: And she's like, no, why would they? And he's like, oh, because they're people your husband have killed. She's like, "Um, which which ones? And she's like, yeah, all of them. Which is the worst way to break this to this woman. Right? Yeah, you're he's
0: asking. not, he doesn't have good bedside manner.
2: Yeah, you're, you cheated on your husband. He left you. And because he was so upset, he went and just started murdering people, like a bunch of people.
0: Like a bunch. Like
2: a bunch. And so she gets up and storms off. She's like, "Um, I don't know what you're talking about. My husband would never do this. And I'm out. And so she gets up to leave. And he chases her. And we cut back to Murdoch, and he's in the sex worker's apartment. Yep. And part of what they added in the director's cut is she has a child. Yes. So we pepper in all these little scenes where he finds a teddy bear. He sees uh, the little girl behind a curtain. And he gets really uh, weirded out by the whole situation. He's there to right. test himself. He's there to see if, am I a killer? Am I the right, kind of person? Because he knows he
0: woke up in a hotel room with just him and a dead body, with a bloody knife, and a lot of stuff done to the body. Yeah. And and no memories. So Yeah. Yeah, and the... Very straightforward conclusion there is I her. I'm the one that did this. Yeah. Am I the person that can do, am I the kind of person that can do this? Am
2: I capable of this kind of thing? So he goes to her apartment to kind of test himself and if find I,
0: out more about himself.
2: Yeah. If I put myself in this situation, will I, will like the urge to just murder her and carve uh, spirals into her body just overcome me? Well, it, spoiler alert, it doesn't. And nope. so he just leaves. He's like, I, I can't. This is too much. I got to go. And she comes out and she's like, oh, darn it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, she's what's your name? He says, John. She says, oh, what that's a coincidence. <laughs>
2: that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which Matt always likes this scene because this is one of our few nudity scenes in the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this is It's, just, the it's whole like movie.
0: casual. Um, it's not like overtly sexual.
2: No, she's just changing clothes. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's just getting home after a day of work, slipping into something comfortable and
2: yeah, a wardrobe. Yeah. Oh no, no a um, a robe, a robe, a dressing yeah. gown. Yeah. And so he leaves, and he ends up at a shell beach sign, which I don't know why he goes out like a door that's not the door that he came in.
0: Did he not go out
2: the front door down the stairs? Well, he ends up at the shell beach sign. How does he end up there? Does he go down the stairs and then he goes up another set of stairs to get to the sign? Feel like he just comes Maybe out. Maybe he goes door. out
0: and because the stairs go up to a landing where her door is, but it might go farther across and have more stairs going up to the top of a building.
2: Yeah. Well, he can alter physical reality, and he doesn't know it. So, however he does it, he boop 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 boop, boop ends up at the Shell Beach sign. Yeah. Because we've got a little bit of a fixation about Shell Beach.
0: Right in the suitcase, there was a postcard.
2: Yeah, which he's ditched the suitcase at this point. He literally tosses he kept, it in the he water. He keeps
0: the postcard, though. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't want to keep the... My my interpretation was he got rid of the suitcase because it was a easily recognizable item from his stay at the hotel. Yeah. And he wants to distance himself from any associations with the hotel.
2: Which is a really good idea if you're trying not to get caught. Or you're trying not to get convicted of a murder you didn't commit. Right. So he's quite fixated on Shell Beach. And so and he, he, sees he actually sign.
0: has a memory. And I always thought the memory scenes were pretty well done.
2: Oh, with the like...
0: The like blurry vignette. Yeah. And the, the noise.
2: The like reverse sounds. The,
0: the reverse music.
2: Yeah, they are pretty good. And he's got just a couple. I mean, he got like a partial imprint or what they call them imprints he got like a partial download (laughs) of of memories and so he can remember shell beach and this sign has that like swinging arm
1: that
2: which i always associate with the um the shadow movie who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men shadow that one there's a scene where they're like on a billboard and it's making a loud creaking sound I, I always
0: think of a uh, big boy restaurant.
2: Mm, big boy. They don't have big boys here.
0: No, it's a Midwest thing.
2: Yeah. But now we get our full-on view of the creepy gentleman.
0: The strangers. The
2: strangers. In their trench coats. Uh, trench suits. And, they remind yeah. me of the like dress of power from The Matrix. Yes. Yeah. Where... Um, Neo had that full Yeah, it's length. very tightly buttoned up. Yeah.
0: There's n- you can't see any clothing underneath.
2: They're all bald. And I think they're wearing hats. And for some reason they all they're- have these knives that make like shink mm. noises when they pull them out cuz they all have like extendable blades. Right. But they don't extend. They just like shoot these little side blades out.
0: I'm wondering if they if they actually tune the knife into existence. Well,
2: why do they all carry one?
0: What Well, and in- they have a collective consciousness, so if, they ha- if there was a tool that they used regularly, it would all be the same for all of them.
2: Well, I mean, I get that. So, and, and of course they made the knives, they made all of this. Right. But why? What are they defending themselves against? <laughs> they can alter fucking physical reality. They can literally just make the ground beneath you disappear. So why do we need to carry? It may a be knife?
0: harder for them to control big stuff like that, like in the moment, like in a in a, a moment of surprise or something. And it's more reliable to just use a knife to take care of whatever person is causing a problem in the moment than to try to tune something very carefully. And that's why they have the machine to do bigger stuff.
2: I mean, it could be, it could also be this is a control thing. Like, I can't really threaten you with my mind powers, but I can threaten you with a knife.
0: Yeah, It could just be a physicalization of, I'm a dangerous creature.
2: Yeah. Although they're all a little bloodthirsty. Although I guess I read an article and Alex Proyas was saying that he doesn't see them as villains. He sees them as like They're they're just misunderstood. Like, they're just trying to survive, and they're doing what they had to to try to survive, which I would believe if they didn't go a little bit too far all the time. Right. Yeah.
0: Every time they have the chance, they go a little bit over (laughs) the line. A
2: little too far, which might be their inhumanness, that these are literally rats in a maze to them. Right. They're not people. They're just a means to an end. For learning they're sh- what they Humans need to are short
0: lived. They're so easy to manipulate like your mind their minds. Yeah. And, and they can't really defend themselves against the strangers because of the the strangers can tune.
2: Right. And this is our first introduction to Mr. Hand, who is our main stranger. And he's riffraff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. Um, and he like he has he has more dialogue than pretty much any other stranger, but he, they kind of have a confrontation, and John Murdoch uses his tuning ability to uh, attempt to defeat them, his his own ability to manipulate physical right. reality, and so they're like, oh shit
0: this guy could tune that
2: they're learning
0: this um, (laughs) uh they've
2: learned dual making
0: mr hand reminds me of agent smith from the matrix
2: yeah he is basically he's the
0: one he's the one member of the collective that's like already the most individualistic
2: yeah and this is also where we meet wister wall who is played by bruce spence and any movie filmed in New Zealand or Australia, you are contractually obligated to hire Bruce Spence to be in at least one role.
0: Or he, at least that's the conclusion from Observations. <laughs>
2: because there's, this movie he's was filmed in like Sydney, yeah. and he's always in movies filmed in Australia. He's in Mad Max. He's in The Lord of the Rings. He doesn't have a big part. You don't have to put him in a big part, but you got to have him in your movie. He's in this one he's in like just he's just that he's that guy he's that australian guy or i think he's from new zealand actually he's that new zealand guy um, he has
0: leverage on the casting agents
2: right <laughs> he must so they take they they take this knowledge back cuz even though they have a communal consciousness we still have to have discussions out loud so we go back to the like creepy dude clubhouse where the strangers all hang out which is this large chamber that has their big Machine in the center of it, uh, which for some reason looks like a clock and a world and a giant face.
0: Yeah. 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 So uh, I was thinking when you said they have to talk out loud, uh, I was thinking they're inhabiting human bodies. Their goal is to find out how to become.
2: Individuals. M-
0: more individualistic like humans. So this may all be like a role play thing for them that they've all committed to to get closer to that.
2: Maybe it's like the Yurks from the Animorphs. If they aren't in their spawning pool, they're like cool well, y- things. They may
0: need a host.
2: They can't communicate. But once they're right. in a host, they have to communicate verbally. Yeah. I mean I think like the <laughs> I'm sorry, this is a deep millennial cut. Um, Remember the Yerks from the Animorphs when they're all in the pool when they're feeding every three days? Yeah. They can talk to each other then. Right. But then once they're out of it, they have to to use whatever the host uses to communicate. Right. So maybe they have some sort of way of being communal, like Mm. Odo from Deep Space Nine. They all live in a giant puddle. Right. But when they take form... And they're all intermingled. Yeah, when they take form... Their communication is limited. So probably something like that. Anyway. (laughs) Wow. We hit, like, three major 90s properties, one right after the other. Which, if you haven't read the Animorphs, they're all available online now. Go and read them. Just go and do it. You're welcome. There's only 54 of them. You can make it.
0: Uh, Each one is, like... uh, It would... We would go to the store and buy the, each one and come home, and it would take me an hour, maybe two hours to read it.
2: Yeah. We were d- discussing the Animorphs the other day. They were one of those, like, book of the month from the Scholastic.
0: Right. But it'd be like 120 to 180 page, like, novel. Yeah. But she was pumping them out. Every month,
2: yeah. But the realness and the character development and the writing mm-hmm. in this in this like book of the month was so fucking fantastic. Every time I think about it, I'm still like, God, those were good books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were so good. Anyway, they've all decided that we we have to have this guy. We need him. This is the culmination of our experiment. We need to figure out how he got. There's what something he's got.
0: special about this guy, and
2: we, and we got to have it. We need it.
0: Right. He's, he's a link. He's something between us and humans. Yeah. And he's the secret to what we need to become to survive as a species.
2: Yeah. And even though there's hundreds of us, we control this entire city, we're only going to spend, send three of you to go and find him. And we are going to in no way manipulate the city to make it easy for you to find him.
0: That may yeah, be well part done. of why they are not surviving as a species.
2: Because <laughs> they're not They not like, may not
0: be able to think outside the box. They're
2: like, everybody take a square mile, or everybody take a square half mile, and just keep an eye on it, and if John shows up, nab, nab the son of a bitch, okay? Yeah. No, they're all like, we're going to stay down here in the clubhouse, and we're going to send Mr. Hand, Mr. Wall, and Mr. Sleep out. Yep. You guys go do it. Which Mr. Sleep is like a creepy child. Right. You guys go out, you get him, and you bring him back, okay? And do it quick. Do it quick. And so they leave.
0: Or- and uh, Dr. Schrieber says later that even though they have all these abilities and uh, they can manipulate memories and all that, they still needed a human to construct everything. Yeah. For their experiments, for their scenarios, that would I'm I'm wondering if Dr. Schrieber was coming up with a lot of the scenarios, and they would kind of approve things, and then he would go he would go implement all of those.
2: It's entirely possible they're searching because for the they soul. they
0: are not very experimentally minded. No, they're not exploratory. They're not. They don't like to take risks.
2: I mean, they're. Ex- experimentally minded in that they kidnapped, I don't know, several thousand humans and put them in a rat race Right, maze. but then
0: they need the human to actually... Conduct the trial. Conduct the experiments, yeah. to design the experiments and actually implement the experiments. Right. Yeah.
2: Which, how are they observing the outcomes of the experiments? Because they, they don't have any way of observing their city. They must not, or they would be able to find John Murdoch immediately. Right,
0: yeah. If they had a system of observing, like, remote observation... They'd be using it to hunt down John Murdoch.
2: Right. So how are they? They're hunting for the human soul because that's what they need. Right. They, the, they
0: think that that is the secret. That that's what to they're surviving. Yeah. Right.
2: Speaking of the human soul, Emma is headed home and Bumstead is driving her home. And they arrive at the apartment and she goes inside and John is sitting at her table smoking a cigarette. And he says, My brand, I hope. And she's like, Oh my God, you came back. Like, oh, Luke, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about what I did. And he's like, Look, I don't have any fucking clue who you are.
1: I feel like I'm living out someone else's nightmare. What happened to me? Why was I seeing a doctor?
2: So, whatever well, you did, she sits down yep, at the forgiven. table. Yeah.
0: She sits down at the table and she's like, You think, are you punishing me by like leaving? By leaving me, like, is that your way to punish me? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) He's like, I don't even know who you are.
0: You're supposed to be my wife?
2: (laughs) He's like, I had the keys to this apartment. I showed up here. The keys worked. Huzzah, I'm inside. That's all I got, baby. That's it. And she's like, oh, Okay. Um uh,
0: Doctor Shriver was right.
2: Yeah, you really, you really did lose all your memories, and he's like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And in the meantime, he's looking out the window and he sees Bumstead's car. Yeah, he's like, "That detective that drove you home, he's still out there." And she's like, "Oh, well, I didn't know that." And when he goes out the door, Bumstead's right there, and he's like, "Freeze! <laughs> I got you." And um, John Murdoch is like, "Yippee ki yay." Um- <laughs> He's like, uh, no, thanks. So Emma tackles Bumstead, which then William Hurt gets the fun line. No one ever listens to me. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm just taking you in. I'm not, I not. I know you might not be the murderer. I, I have my own doubts, but I want to take you in. And it, they're all like, uh-huh, I hear what you say, but bye. And so she tackles yeah. him. And John jumps over the side of the um stairs. And lands on the stairs. Superhero landing. Yeah, it does a superhero landing on the stairs. And he's trying to run away, and he gets to a dead end. And all of a sudden, there's a door where there wasn't one before. Magic! Magic! (laughs) Uh, Tuning! (laughs) This is what he's doing. Um, And so he gets out the door, and he ends up getting into a cab. And he's like, hey, you go all over this town, don't you? And the cab driver's like, heck yeah, I go everywhere. And so John Murdoch's like, cool, how do you get to Shell Beach? He's
0: like, oh, Sh- Shell Beach? Yeah, me and the missus did our honeymoon there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I you know just, the way to
0: Shell Beach. Yeah, you go across... Uh, it's, wait, um, hold on.
2: You where? go down the... Dang, hmm, that's really weird. I can't weird.
0: remember if it's this way or that way.
2: I can't remember how to get where we're going. That's so weird. And Murdoch is like, is it though? Is it weird? Uh, but then... Um, Bumstead confronts Dr. Schrieber because he finds, for some reason, John drops Dr. Schrieber's card on the ground as he's running away. It fell
0: out of his pocket.
2: Yeah. It It was the only thing in his pocket, I guess. He also left his, his wallet at the automat. So it's forgetful. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to confront Dr. Schrieber and they have kind of a tense loaded conversation. Where he's like, huh, yeah, I really think you might be uh, lying to me, doctor. He's like, I know when people are lying to me. And Dr. Schreiber's like, I think I know a little bit more about people than you do, Bumstead. Bumstead's like, oh, yeah, do you? And he's like, yeah, I bet you're driven. He's like, maybe
0: you can give me some pointers. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'd be happy to.
2: Yeah, he goes, you're driven. You have a strong attention to detail, and it makes you extremely lonely. Which, of course, Dr. Schrieber, he could whip out psychoanalysis on anybody, because literally everyone is his invention.
0: Right. He literally invented everyone's personality and memories. In the town. Yeah.
2: Just memories, which is like the core meaning of the movie is, even with different memories, you can't make people different people. Right. Which, okay. There's a lot more nuance there, but okay. (laughs) Sure. Uh, but Doc, uh, John Murdoch is there, too. He's on his way to see the doctor. But he can't go see him because Bumstead is there. Uh, but he does follow the doctor because Dr. Schreiber's like, look, I got an appointment. I got to go. And so he di- he dips. He he ditches Bumstead. It's almost Bumstead. midnight. It's almost midnight. And apparently he's his appointment, his pressing appointment that he absolutely can't miss is the pool. Which if I had a giant hot tub to just sit around in, yeah, I would, too. I should go join the Patreon. If we get enough Patreons, maybe I could get a hot tub. (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. I'd use it on stuff related to the show, obviously. But he's in the pool because the strangers don't like water. Which, I love the line that he says, the stranger comes to see him at the pool. And I love the line, which is, you know how we feel about all this.
1: moisture." Moisture. Dr. Schreiber, most unfortunate it is. We were forced to seek you out here You know how uncomfortable We find all this Moisture
2: And I think that Every single time the kids won't take a bath (laughs) (laughs) You know how we feel About all this Moisture Moisture. (laughs) (laughs) And they do the weird like Click 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 click
0: Yeah they click the Yeah
2: yeah, it's really, it's creepy. They do such a good job of just establishing a creepy vibe and then coasting on it, just maintaining yes. it.
0: All of the strangers maintain the creepy vibe really well.
2: And this is an, it kind of a reverse of my usual we don't want to see the monster too early thing. Because we get the creepy dudes, we get the strangers almost immediately. But because we have no fucking clue what they are, and everything that we learn about them just makes them more creepy. It doesn't matter that they're in this entire movie, right?
0: It, this one, the the monstrous aspect of the strangers is not their appearance, right? Because they just look like humans that are pale and have Trench like coats. red around their eyes and yeah. are bald. In this case the monstrous aspect the monstrous reveal is the just gradual disclosure of their inhumanness
2: it's like the setting itself is the monster the setting yeah. itself is what is horrific and we're
0: just closing just a little bit more just very gradually yeah here's a little bit more about the situation that you you thought you understood what was happening but, but no you know, nope
2: eh. no they don't really ever lose their shiny even right up until the very end. You're in, you're in it. You're in it. For the, you don't for. feel tired of the Because you still strangers. don't know much about them. And you don't feel tired of the strangers. Mm-hmm. You want to see them more because you want every glimpse that you get of them gives you a little bit more information about what they are and about where we are and about what is actually happening. And in this scene when the doctor and I think it's Mr. Hand are, just, are talking, um, you get the sense that the doctor and the strangers are not in this together. I mean, they're in this together in that they are manipulating the doctor. They are holding his leash.
0: They have a gun to his head.
2: Yeah, but not that he's doing this because he wants to be doing this. Right.
0: He's only doing as much as he needs to to maintain his position.
2: And so uh, Bumstead, our gritty noir detective, has started to realize that shit's gone sideways. And it went sideways somewhere, and he can't really think of where. But something about this case is not sitting right with him. Which always made me wonder, how long have they left Bumstead a detective? Because not everybody's memories get changed all the time. Right. They play out different scenarios constantly. But every, certain people get to stay who they are for a long time. But so, Like,
0: Walensky probably stayed too long.
2: Yeah. And so to did where Bum- he
0: started noticing all the.
2: And the almost changes. Bumstead did too, because Bumstead is unsettled.
0: He picks up on the weird stuff pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. This whole case has him feeling a little unsettled. And so he goes to see Walensky, because clearly this case also drove Walensky mad from his point of view. It drove Walensky to the truth from our point of view, right? but mad from his point of view. And he goes to see Walensky, and I thought, wow, Walensky could be a wallpaper designer. (laughs) (laughs) Because when they go in his room.
0: He's in his conspiracy room. Yeah,
2: he's in his conspiracy room, which you are morally obligated to write on the walls of your conspiracy room. And you're also morally obligated to put up like cool little images that I would absolutely have as a tattoo. He has like a picture of the strangers that he's drawn on the wall. I would fucking put that on my body. It is so <laughs> cool looking. And he's just got like cursive and swirls and just stuff all over the walls. Right.
0: Just random sketches.
2: Because we schematics. all know you do your best thinking when you're writing on the drywall. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He's also got newspaper clippings, which john murdoch had newspaper clippings and these are like copies of some of the newspaper clippings that he had and they're posted on the wall they're like tacked to the wall and bumstead's like well you're not really being very nice to your wife and he's like that's not my wife i don't know who the fuck that is i don't i don't know who she is i don't know who i am i don't know who you are i don't know who any of us are somebody
1: else somebody totally different You saw something, didn't you, Hedy? Something to do with the case. There is no case. There never was. It's all just a big joke. It's a
2: joke. And Bumstead's like, oh, I think I may have made a mistake. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think I should be here. And Walensky's like, you know, I've been going around this city. I've been going in circles. I've been moving in circles and thinking in circles. And there's no way out. Do you think about the past much, Bumstead?
0: Like, really think about it. Like,
2: really think about it? And Bumstead's like, you know, as much as any other man. He's like, no. Do you ever think about the past, Bumstead? (laughs) And then he throws his shoe at a cockroach, which is what I'm talking about. There's a lot of, like, bug, insect, insidious creature imagery. The, like, they're here... You know they're here, but you can't see them. Right. Kind of thing. Which is kind of what the strangers are. We know they're there. They're in every part of the city, but they're not a visible part of the city. Like the bugs are. Right.
0: Their influence is felt everywhere.
2: Which, of course, we wholesale lifted. we built this city. We built this city. (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course, we wholesale lifted a crop of humans from Earth. Created this habitat for them, dropped them in there, and we brought cockroaches with us
0: uh, the cockroaches came along unintentionally
2: and that's what I'm talking about, like even yeah. the strangers couldn't not bring cockroaches, and now that they're here, they're not going anywhere. even if you can manipulate physical reality with your mind, you can't get rid of cockroaches.
0: They may not mind the cockroaches
2: well they don't they don't notice and then we get our first image of the doctor making memories literally. He's making memories.
0: Natals and syringes and a microscope.
2: Vials. And he's like a tragic childhood, a touch of teenage rebellion, a tragic death in the family, and you've got quite the cocktail. So he's like cooking people's lives. Right. And it just makes me wonder, how do they know? There's no labels on anything. How does he know which vial is which there's also a lot of liquid in each vial and there's not that many. So they said that when they arrived, they collected, they extracted everything. They extracted everyone's memories and now they just mix and match them and swap them around. It leaves a lot to be desired. This setup, because we're trying to create like a anachronistic sci-fi setting. So we're, we're going with like the 1950s, almost. It's like, like steampunk. Clunky steampunk style laboratory. Yeah. Which is in no way nuanced enough to be able to maintain separate memories that can then be added together on a whim. It's just like... Right,
0: like how do you... He's, he's going through this process which is very loose, mm-hmm. very low resolution, but then he's ostensibly constructing memories of specific people in specific situations relevant to this person. Like, when they made Emma's memories, Emma and John, whoever they were before, had not actually been together before that night. Right. How did she have memories of... Like specific episodic memories of them together with memories of his face and all that.
2: Maybe you fill in your own face. Maybe if you just give the building block, you put your own face in the memory. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. She may not
0: have had the memory, like the visualization of his face in her memory until she saw his face and then put it there.
2: That's what I'm saying. This doesn't make a ton of sense. I think today, if we do this today you'd
0: have a much more mechanistic explanation for how you get the yeah, notes yeah i think we get
2: chips memory chips you know yeah. like everybody has a chip and i think we could still do the cool syringe i think we could keep that cuz that's yeah. cool it's creepy but i think you do something it's visceral. more visceral yeah i think you do something more like i'm touching the chip to download new information yeah because then you could visually see the memory when it's he's basically got prep bowls out on the table And he's just tossing spices together. (laughs) Right. You can't see. They're all clear. They're all whatever. You can't see from what's there what's what's actually going on in each one. Right. So I think if we make this movie again today, something that would definitely make it better is a far more nuanced version of how we're mixing and matching these memories. Right. It works in the moment because this is all of a two-minute scene, and we're never, ever going to revisit it again. So it's fine. Some set guy was like, "I found a spice turntable. I found a couple of syringes, and I found a microphone, and I spray painted them all black. Cool." And they were like, "Groovy, good, slapping on a table. Let's go. Not a problem." Um, But yeah, that's if if we remake this movie, that's what I would like to see. Is we get a little bit more of a granular view of how they do this, because you have to
0: yeah throw a little more world. We don't talk about
2: how you extract memories. We don't talk about how you. Parse memories out because if you extracted the whole of my memory, how do you parse out all the little pieces? Right. So that anyway, that's my one of my chief criticisms. Of this movie is we. This is our mechanism. This is our plot driving element. The fact that we can take memories and swap them around and we treat There's it.
0: There's not a plausible explanation yeah, of we, how that works.
2: We treat it in a very cursory manner, which it ends up feeling like. Did you read the book, The Girl from All the Gift Girl with All the Gifts? No. Okay, so in the book, The Girl with All the Gifts, uh, the main female scientist character is trying to figure out what's going on, but she's only got a cutting board and a knife. So she keeps taking people's brains, and she's trying to create these slices so that she can image what's going on in their brains, but the best she can do is put the brain on a cutting board and cut it with like a steak knife. Mm. So she ends up destroying the brain every time. So it ends up feeling very much like, I'm trying to do this high scientific thing. But I have this I have really low resolution equipment to do it with. Yeah. And that's what this feels like. Like these strangers are all trying to do this very nuanced, highly scientific thing where they're literally looking for the human soul by figuring out what makes us us. But all they have are like seven vials and a.
0: Right. It's like trying to build a watch with just a hammer.
2: Right, exactly. So I don't know if this is—is su- is this deliberate? Is this supposed to give us the sense that
0: they really don't know what they're doing?
2: They really don't know what they're doing. That they're overreaching, or is this supposed to give us just just keep us in that surrealist, anachronistic zone where we've been living? It
0: may be something that the at, I guess, Alex Proyas was the writer. He yeah. came up with the story and he directed it. It may be something that he didn't have. He he. Maybe he didn't get that detailed into it, and didn't have the time or the energy to um, unpack the details of how that might have worked in a plausible way. Yeah, and just said, "Well, let's just do this, and we'll kind of gloss over
2: it." Yeah, because we're we're trying to get to the part that people are really here for, which is the.
0: Action Action. sequence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's not what we're here for, but that's okay. And this is our first look at what the strangers do to the city.
1: Stop talking. There's no need for this. There's no escape. The city's ours. We made it. What are you talking about? We fashioned this city on stolen memories. Different eras, different pasts, all rolled into one. Each night we revise it, refine it, in order to learn. Learn what? About you, Mr. Murdoch. You and your fellow inhabitants. What makes you human? Why? We need to be like you. I
2: understand you now, Mr. Murdock. At the sheer amount of control that they have over the city. Right. Because they all gather up. Which we rewound and rewatched this scene several times because I think this must be from the director's cut. The scene here, where we get a bigger view of their clubhouse,
0: right? These, I liked the contrast in the like apparent scale of what's going on. So when you're when you're following the humans around in the city, everything's very close. It's tight. The city is very dense with buildings. Yeah. And the roads aren't that big and the rooms aren't that big. And so everybody's just kind of packed in together and whatever.
2: It's dark and grimy and tight. Right. Yeah.
0: And then we get this scene of like the main chamber that the strangers use to tune the city.
2: They're creepy clubhouse.
0: They're creepy clubhouse. And we kind of look up. And just way off in the distance, like really high up in this room, we just see these like horizontal lines with like white dots sliding across and it's just rows and rows of like, I don't know, stadium seating yeah, and more and more strangers just filing into place so that they're in position in this room to all... They're all so that they're all in position in this room to collectively tune the city. Yeah. And later on, we get more uh, background, or or, I guess more explanation of how much preparation they go into for like each stranger has assignments.
2: Yeah, that happened right before this scene. Where they're on like a conveyor belt and they're like, we're going to need seven family albums. I thought that was the next time. We're going to need seven family albums, three pictures.
0: Director's cut cut thing.
2: Could be. It happens at um, 34 minutes, 40 seconds. Oh, okay. Happens pretty early on. Um, Where we're listing out, like, these are the things we need made for tonight so that we can set up these scenarios for everything that's going on.
0: Right. For the the new scenarios that we're going to run starting tonight, we need these props.
2: Right. So it's midnight, which means they've all gathered for the tonight's tuning, tuning, as they are, tuning <laughs> for tonight's tuning, uh, which means they're all going to get together and kind of use their machine, use collectively, use their abilities, focus through this machine to literally change the, the shape of the city. And so Murdoch is outside running around the city, and everyone falls asleep.
0: Except for him.
2: Except for him. And Dr. Schreiber. Everything stops. Train stops.
0: Clocks stop. Clocks
2: stop. Cars stop. Everything stops. The city freezes. And all of a sudden, buildings start coming up out of the ground. Other buildings move. We get a non-Murdoch point of view, where we see people talking, and all of a sudden they fall asleep. And then the strangers come in, and they change their clothes and give them new.
0: Right. And they're kind of ranting about how tough their situation is. He's hoping the guy's hoping he'll get a promotion at work and they're, you know, just not paying him much and they're really struggling. And then the strangers come in and change them so that they basically live in a mansion and they're, they're wearing fancy clothes. They're at a much larger table with a huge spread of food And when they wake up, they continue having almost exactly the same tone conversation. Do we see that? Yeah. And just the content has changed. Yeah. Because now they're rich people. Right. But he's complaining about his situation in the same way as when he was poor.
2: Right. And we also see Dr. Schreber injecting people's foreheads with his creepy syringes and we get the cool zoom in on the syringe end like the needle part where like yes does the like drill sound every time which is so creepy <laughs> um yeah so he must he just injects i think he does like three or four people before murdoch accosts him he's like what the actual fuck dr schrieber dr Schreiber's like look we can't talk right now and he's like um you, right now, right now, this is when we're talking because I am not living in denial. I am not living in ignorance for one more fucking you're minute. Well, you're due do- to doing around the around the entire city, injecting people in the forehead. I need answers, and I need them right now. And so the strangers show up, and Murdoch has to leave. So of course, he didn't get his answers right now. Even after that impassioned speech, um, they get done changing everything. They get done swapping around memories, and everybody just wakes up. Cars start driving, trains start, and going. everybody
0: just goes about their day.
2: Everybody goes about their day, and John is freaked the fuck out. So he pulls out his Shell Beach comfort object, which is his postcard, and he's reading it, and he realizes that the Carl in the postcard. And the Harris, Carl Harris... Um, the K-H. Is the K-H from his suitcase. Yes. And so he goes and looks it up in the phone book.
0: Yep. And he finds Carl Harris.
2: And he rips the phone book page out, which <laughs> used to be like a huge pet peeve for me in movies, is they always rip out the page, which yeah. means that nobody else gets to use the K-H page in that phone book.
0: And Roof. if somebody... If the people hunting him know that he was there, and they notice, oh, he took a page out of this phone book, we know exactly which page he tore out. Let's go get another copy of the phone book, and now we have a very short list of people.
2: Yeah, that he could possibly be that he could
0: be investigating.
2: Yeah, this used to be a real big trope. The look it up in the phone book and then rip it out Yeah That's another thing we've lost But he goes to see his uncle And his uncle's like Johnny I haven't seen you in so long and
0: Uncle comes out with a shotgun Yeah, Ready to shoot the Which, intruder
2: to be fair He did break the window to get in Yeah Which he was probably thinking It's fine they can make another window It's fine I could yeah. probably make another window
0: Well he hasn't figured out
2: yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't, even, he doesn't
0: tune to break the window. He
2: doesn't even know. Oh, you know what? He does know. He does it intentionally now because when he confronted Schrieber while everyone was asleep, he like force pushed Schrieber oh, yeah. away. He Schrieber's like, "Holy shit! Angry. You can tune. Yes, you're gonna free us all from this." And Murdoch's like, "Hold, hold, what? hold on. What? I can what?" And he's like, "You have their power. You can do what they can do." And Murdoch's like, I'm I'm not receiving this right now. (laughs) So he he goes to Carl, and he's looking at pictures of himself on Shell Beach.
0: Yeah, they they have a slide projector.
2: Yeah. And he realizes that in the pictures he has a scar, but he doesn't actually have a scar. And so Carl's like, what does it mean, Johnny? It means these are all lies. (laughs) And he, like, tosses everything. (laughs) And Carl's like... Okay, would you like to go take a bit rest in your own bedroom now? I kept it just the way you left it. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to lay down in his room, and he finds this picture book, and it's blank. It's a book that supposedly he scribbled right, in. And
0: there was a video of him drawing in this book in the slide show. Yeah. And and then uh, I don't think he realized. Yeah, it's blank here. Yeah. Yeah, It's blank.
2: He goes to look through it, and it's blank. Because Carl was like, you were always scribbling in that book. So he's like, shit,
0: even this isn't real. This isn't
2: real. So he goes to leave, and of course, Carl has called Emma and told Emma where he is. Yeah. And so this is kind of our, all of our disparate storylines all meet here. Murdoch is trying to leave the aquarium thing. The strangers have arrived there to get him. And Bumstead and Emma arrive in the car. Because at this point, Mr. Hand has been imprinted with John Murdoch's memories.
0: The memories that he should have
2: had. Right. And he says...
0: Is
1: it done? Oh, yes, Mr. Book. I have John Murdoch in mind.
2: Because they can't be imprinted with human memories, it kills them. So he and even Mr. Hand.: Right. So Mr. Hand is, is sacrificing himself to try to get them Mr. Murdoch. So he uses those memories to find Uncle Carl. He's also used those memories to find and kill the sex worker that John Murdoch deliberately didn't kill earlier. So when Bumstead goes to collect. Well, Bumstead arrives at the aquarium at the same time as the strangers arrive at I the aquarium. I think it's a movie
0: theater that has fish aquariums in it.
2: Oh. No, it's like Neptune's Kingdom.
0: Yeah, but it looks like it has a the, like, the big letter panels.
2: Maybe they were feeling theater. lazy and they only partly changed it into an aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's Neptune's kingdom, so it's supposed to be Aquarium-like, at least. Uh, so he's leaving his uncle Carl's residence of choice. And the strangers are arriving. And at the same time, Emma and Bumstead, like, fast and furious Tokyo drift their way in. And Yeah, he, they pick him up out they, of the alley. Yeah, whatever. they pick him up right before the strangers get him. And arrest him, apparently. Because the next time we see him, he's in handcuffs. And Bumstead's like... Help me understand what's going on. And John's like, hey, I know. Help me understand what's going on. Cause yeah, they're I... in the
0: interrogation room.
2: Yeah, and he's like, tell me something. When's the last time you remember doing anything during the day? Not some distant, half-forgotten childhood memory, just like a week anything. ago. Anything. When's the last fucking time you remember seeing the day? Because I've been up for hours and hours and hours, and it hasn't been daytime yet. It literally goes from midnight to midnight with no day in between. Right. And Bumson's like... Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. He says,
0: like, uh, when he's with Uncle Carl, he sees the clock and he says, is the, that clock right? Yep. Yeah, that clock's perfect time. Is that a.m. or p.m.? And then he kind of glances at the window. Well, what do you think? And I thought, <laughs> that... Is the right question, but you're asking it in the wrong context. Yeah. How <laughs> you many need times? to be asking, is there actually an AM and PM?
2: <laughs> how many times has it been midnight today? <laughs> More than once, that's how many times. Yeah. And so Bumstead is kind of storming around, really fulfilling his noir detective role. And John makes his book float. And he's like, okay. He's like, Explain this. He's like. Explain this then. If you can't explain anything, explain this. And Bum says like, Oh shit, I can't. And so then we get a cool another kind of switcheroo scene where we see somebody getting the keys. We see the strangers arriving. Oh well but first we get the cool scene where Emma arrives to see him at the prison or at the jail or whatever wherever he is. And they talk to each other on the phone for like five minutes. And he's like, she says, I don't care about what you're trying to tell me about memories. You can't fake love. And he's like, no. You're right. You're right. You can't. I love you, and you can't make me love you. I was only going to love you if I was meant to love you. And so then he breaks the glass with his, like, tuning finger. (laughs) (laughs) He, He pokes the glass, and it breaks just so he can make out with Jennifer Connelly, which... And anybody, hey, raise their hand if you would not break glass to, I'm not raising my hand, to make out with <laughs> Jennifer Connelly. And then they leave. Uh, but we get the cool scene with the, somebody gets the keys, and we see the silhouette of the strangers, and they're arriving at the police station, and they're kind of putting everybody to sleep. And they kidnap the police um, chief. Chief, I think we'd know this. We'd talk about police every every week for a night, but they, they kidnap the police chief and they, they're they taking him to the prison. And when they get there, we see someone putting the key in the lock and turning it. It's a very like, we're not sure who is doing what here. Right. But it turns out it was Bumstead.
0: Right. We're freeing. switching point of views. Yeah. And we we have the strangers unlocking the room where he was supposed to be and it's empty.
2: Right. Which there is a, The average scene length in this movie is less than two seconds. There is a cut about every 1.8 seconds. Yeah. And you can feel it in this scene. If there were five second scenes earlier, there has to be one second scenes to balance that average out. And it's right here. Because it is like rapid fire, bam, 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 bam. We are swapping between points of view over and over and over again to give us this feeling of almost a continuative narrative. But really, there's two things right there's happening two here.
0: parallel actions happening, and there's a first person view and a third person view for each of those two parallel stories. Yep. And you're constantly switching from the, between those four frames of reference kind of randomly so that you can't keep track of okay, what's actually happening Yeah, right now?
2: And it's Bumstead breaking uh Murdoch out of prison, out of jail cell, out of wherever he is. Right, so, so, they, so then
0: he's like, Shell Beach, that's where you wanted to go, right?
2: Oh, well, they go to Dr. Schreber to see Dr. Oh, okay. Schreber. Cause Dr. Schrieber's back at his pool, which you think if the strangers were mad at Dr. Schreber for going to his pool all the time, they'd just take the pool away.
0: Well, I don't know if they want to punish him because they don't want him to. Um. Uh. What's the word I'm looking for? They gotta keep him happy enough.
2: They don't want him to quiet quit. Yeah. <laughs> Act his wage. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, is literally just survival. Yeah. Be like, well, these guys don't have the right, the right um, memories. You put them together wrong, and he's like, oh, sorry, he didn't give me enough time. Yeah, they don't want this man to quiet quit, I guess. So they're trying to keep him just happy enough. Yeah. So they go there, and of course he's there. And he tries to give Murdoch a syringe, because Murdoch confronts him. And he's like, look, I-, I could do this the nice way. Like, we were chumming around, we were making progress, but I'm going to go ahead and pull a weapon on you, because that feels like the natural thing- way to go about this. So he pulls a gun on Murdoch, and he's like, I need you to inject yourself with this syringe.
0: It has all the answers. You're. It looking has for. all the
2: answers. It's gonna solve all your problems. Everything you need, it's in this syringe. You just gotta inject it in your own forehead. Okay, cool. Here you go. <laughs> Murdoch's like, <laughs> Murdoch's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I don't even know what's in this. Well, I'm not putting this thing in my head. You're being ridiculous. Oh, and by the way, I brought my own friend with his own gun because Bumstead shows up with his gun.
0: Checkmate.
2: Checkmate. Checkmate motherfucker. (laughs) So Murdoch is like, we're all gonna go for a drive to Shell Beach. And Shrever's like, no, no, I've been there. You don't want to go there. And he's like You can't (laughs) go there.
1: There is no ocean, John. There is nothing beyond the city. The only place home exists is in your head.
2: Like you've been there? <laughs> then you know where All we're right. going. But Which That's where poor we're going. Dr. Schreiber. He has done nothing uh, ostensibly he's done nothing wrong. He is as much a victim of everything that is right. happening around them as anyone else is. Right,
0: he has a gun to his head. He's doing what he needs to survive. He's cooperating with the strangers as much as he needs to. Right. To ensure his survival.
2: And he's effectively and ensuring the survival of um, all the humans in the city.
0: Right. Um, as a side hustle. Yeah. He is uh, you know, bringing about the human that can save them all. Yeah. And nobody appreciates him.
2: Nobody fucking appreciates <laughs> Dr. Schreiber. Uh In fact, everybody actively beats him up. The reason he has the kind of... Eye, right, yeah, in, eye deformity, in the, the, the droopy eye, and the hobble. And he and the,
0: does yeah. not have a hobble. He does not have like the droopy eye. He was just beat so badly.
2: Yeah, they literally be- beat him up, beat him up to, to the point him. where he was disfigured to yeah. break him. And they ca- they forced him to erase his own memories. And even John Murdoch tortures. Poor Dr. Schreiber. <sighs> Dr. Schreiber's just like, please just inject the and syringe. Kiefer
0: Sutherland does such a good job with this character. It's so different from the other characters he's played. Right. Just even the the inflection and cadence that he talks with.
2: Yeah, he has to have like a...
0: It's very affected, Yeah. but it is affected very well.
2: He has to have this like panty breath almost because of... He's so wounded he was so poorly named and he was so poorly cared for because he's the he's the only one who could have fixed himself yeah and he can't take a deep breath so he can't get out a whole sentence so he's just like he's he he is like this tragic character and literally everyone at every opportunity hurts him to get his cooperation they could have just asked and he would probably have done (laughs) it <laughs> but they're he like, was
0: probably already doing what they needed him to do. Yeah. Without even asking, because he's been orchestrating all this stuff in the background.
2: Which plot twist, the syringe actually does have all the answers in it. <laughs> it really does solve every single problem in the entire movie. He wasn't <laughs> lying about it. But they make him take them to Shell Beach. So they end up getting in this boat because the bridge that was supposedly going to take them to Shell Beach is gone. And so they get in this boat, and he tells them. He gives them the whole exposition dump. We were brought here by the strangers. I was forced to erase my own memories. We were forced to remove the memories from everybody else in the town. We mix and match them. They are an alien species. They're dying out. They need us. They need to figure out, like, what makes us tick, the, what makes us individual, what makes us human. They think that's the only thing that can save them, and they think that, like, I can help them with it and that we'll be able to solve it by keeping all of these humans in this tiny little town. And there you go. There you go, guys. That's it. That's the entire plot of the movie. Dr. Schreber explains it in this five-minute period while they're on this boat. Yep. And then they get to the end. They get to the door... To Shell Beach, and it's our most distorted. It's like there's pieces of forgotten city, all kind of scattered around right, they're here. They're
0: like accumulating at the edges,
2: right? Like they're used, like the city used to be bigger, and it has shrunk in from the edges over time. Yeah, because they use the bodies of our dead as hosts, and there's a lot of them, which means yep. a, lot, a lot, of, lot of people have died. A lot of people have died.
0: So they open the door, and it's just
2: a an empty room. With a billboard.
0: With, with the billboard.
2: Yeah, the Shell Beach billboard. Yeah, And they're like, okay, what the fuck? And Schraber's like, first of all, I told you. I explicitly told you there was no such thing as Shell Beach. And then you made my eyeglasses glow and burn my face, and so I told you I'd take you here, and fuck, here we are. And it's not my fault that I was A, right. There is no such thing as Shell Beach. And John's like, I hear you, but I don't fucking believe you. I think it's on the other side of this wall.
0: So, uh, so Murdoch and Bumstead start banging on the wall with a metal pipe and a
2: yeah something bent,
0: like whatever. a tire Just iron or something.
2: Whatever they need to do to get this wall gone so they can see what's on the other side. Yeah, And, and then he
0: tunes yeah, to and the, bust the wall open.
2: And guess what's on the other side, guys? Shell Beach. My God,
0: it's oh. full of stars.
2: <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Space. It worked so
0: well in the moment.
2: Oh, it was so beautiful.
0: 2001 A Space Odyssey.
2: Yeah, obviously. God, yeah. you need to explain that. They don't know. Yeah, that's another one you could watch, but not sober. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and don't read the book first. It won't help. And it won't
2: help. And then the sequel is actually a sequel to the movie, not right, a sequel to the book. <laughs> yes. The,
0: the second book in the series is a sequel to the movie, and the movie of 2001 a space odyssey was extremely loosely based on the book. Yeah. Like they go to a different planet. I think the ship has is still named the same.
2: That's the only thing that's the same. Right.
0: The name of the ship is the Saturn something, Saturn some number. Yeah. But in the book they're going to Jupiter. And yep. in, in the movie or no, the, in the book they're going to Saturn.
2: Well, we do more with the obelisks in the the book.
0: Right. And then in the movie, they're like, no, no, no. We're not going to Saturn. We're going to Jupiter. But we're still going to name the ship Saturn.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then, yeah, the second book was based on the movie. And then the second movie was based on the second book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's twisty-turny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, anyway, my God, it's full of stars, which was very well done by Matt. Good job, honey.
0: And then the strangers show up.
2: Yeah, then the strangers show up. Oh, which, spoiler alert. Oh, we're going to figure it out in just a minute because there's a showdown here. We have like a fisticuffs hand-to-hand combat moment. And Bumstead and Mr. Wall, maybe?
0: I think Mr. Wall, yeah.
2: Um, They get thrown out the hole. And so as Bumstead is flipping away in space, away from the city we get passes through like a shield we get our first outsider's view of what the city looks like which it's just it's flat earth it's a disc with a city on it (laughs) and underneath of it is all of their machinery yeah so we're on a spaceship which is what makes this sci-fi which is why calling it sci-fi kind of is a spoiler alert right because we don't know until this moment that we're on a spaceship
0: right this could just be like urban fantasy noir horror yeah until this moment.
2: Until this moment where we realize, fuck, we are not even on Earth. Yep. We don't even know where Earth is in the grand scheme of things here. Right. We just know, we know, well, we know more than we did before, but somehow less because now we don't know, like, how did we get here? How far are we from Earth? How long have we been here? Yeah, but this is our, our oh shit moment. And Murdoch is like, "Well goddamn, I lost Bumstead. They've got Emma there and they're threatening her. They've got a knife to her throat. Mr. Hand." Mr. Hand, because Mr. Hand has become the murderer that Murdoch was intended to be. And so they're like, "Um, you got to go to sleep and you got to come with us." And he's like, "Ah. Uh, yeah, that's fine." Cuz really well, running at, away. At first
0: he fights it. He's like, "Yeah. Why why would I do that?" I she's not my wife. I don't even know her. And they're like, "Uh, well, I'm actually going to kill her." And he's like, "Okay, fine. fine. Don't hurt her." Fine,
2: fine, fine, fine. I don't I don't want you to hurt her. And so he does fall asleep. And they take him to the clubhouse.
0: The creepy clubhouse. The creepy
2: clubhouse. On this roller coaster thing. This stand-up roller coaster. Eh, whatever. It's cool. It's fine. It gives us this cool movement scene we get an an impression of how deep and how far away the yes. clubhouse is from the city, which is kind of what this is meant to establish. And we strap him to a this circular wheel thing, which we used this earlier for when we imprinted Mr. Hand. Yeah. oh, we didn't discuss it, but it was there. and then this is this is so creepy because they're all gathered up around him, and he's like strapped to this circle thing
0: the altar.
2: And Dr. Schrieber is in this like metal wheelie. He's in
0: this cage thing. I thought maybe he got injured and he needed no. this as like a walker.
2: No, this is next step up. We got to get get you under control.
0: Right. This is just another way of torturing him.
2: Yeah, this is Dr. Schrieber shoveling more shit for the revolution. That's what this is. is. He has shoveled more than his fair amount of shit. And this is one more shit shovel to shovel. And that is to wear this wheelie cage thing that keeps him from being able to run away. And they give him, they open like a casket-shaped box. And in it is this syringe full of black liquid. And it is the collective memories of the strangers. Right. And they're like, okay, we need you to imprint this onto him.
0: Because he's the link.
2: Make him one of us and that will save us. That will that will be what we need. Right.
0: That will join him to our collective consciousness yep. and give us the spark of individuality that humans possess that we do not that will save us right. from extinction.
2: And Dr. Schreber's like, I hear what you're saying.
0: But psych, I'm going to pull this other syringe yeah. out of his jacket um, pocket. But
2: I made this thing earlier, and I gave it to Murdoch, and he stuck it in his pocket, and I snuck it out of his pocket, and I'm going to inject him with that. Which, earlier we said that, or they said, of course, he, if he, it doesn't matter if he can tune. It takes several lifetimes to be able to learn how to tune. Well, wouldn't you know, Dr. Shreiber is really good at making several lifetimes worth of memories.
0: In a syringe. In
2: a syringe. So he literally injects John Murdoch. And he's in all of his memories. Totally, right. it's all the
0: memories that John Murdoch was intended to have. Yeah. But Dr. Schrieber has retconned himself into them as a whole bunch of training memories. Yeah, and he's like, tune,
2: I bet you're wondering why which I keep showing is up a in your really
0: memories. effective, like plausible t- yes. plot twist. Yes. For how how we get John out of this situation. Right. I was like, that was a perfect use of the memory syringe mechanism.
2: Absolutely. To
0: just instantly turn the tables for John for and his uh, nascent ability yeah. to tune.
2: Which is there a moment in modern sci-fi horror as fuck yes, as when he opens his eyes and turns the circle and then just, it dissolves a, just behind steps him. Steps away from it. Oh as wait! It but dissolves we, behind we missed,
0: him. we missed something here. So as they're wheeling him out, as they're wheeling out John Murdoch to hook him up to this thing, they're like, "Yeah, this is the only specimen we need. We don't need the rest of the city." <laughs> oh, yes. And the guy says, "Shut it down. Shut, Shut it, it down forever." forever.
1: Shut it down forever! There and is that is
0: the most quoted, <laughs> like the most often quoted movie line in our household. There
2: is not a time that I don't say shut it down when Matt goes shut it down forever!
0: And vice versa. <laughs>
2: It's so good. They're turning off the machines because they don't need them anymore. They don't need to change right, the Right, they city. shut down the
0: city every night. Yeah. Or every 12 hours, whatever. Uh, but this time They're is the last it. time.
2: They're just going to shut it down. They for don't
0: good. need the city anymore. Yeah. Because they have the they key. They have John.
2: They have what they came for. Yep. Well, kind of, because he steps away from that circle, and then it's smackdown time.
0: And here's the action.
2: Yeah, we get the thrilling, awe-inspiring soundtrack. We get bodies just flying all over the place for seemingly no reason. He's just floating all over the place. I mean, we're doing all kinds of stuff. This is like our last 20-minute climax of just him beating the shit out of all of these strangers with his newfound mastery of his mental prowess. And so he's capable of wielding it. I suppose we're supposed to assume he's capable of wielding it in a way even they can't, because he can use his imagination in a way that they right. can't.
0: Right. He has an individual mind.
2: Yeah. So he even, defeats, um, he even defeats Mr. Book, which Mr. Book is our wrinkly old guy.
0: The patriarch.
2: The patriarch. He defeats him. He defeats everybody. Um, they're all flying around. He ends up throwing Mr. Hand into a water reservoir, like a water tower. Mr. Book. Oh, Mr. Book. Yeah, he ends up throwing Mr. Book into oh, yeah. a water tower. He launches
0: tower. him back, and then he's like, "Oh, hey, there's a building underneath him with a like water tower on top." So he makes the building taller, yeah, so that Mr. Book will crash into it.
2: And so we get our first like full size glimpse of what the strangers actually look like. which is this long kind of dendrite-looking thing um, with teeth and a mouth at the end of it. And it dissolves in the water because they don't like all that moisture. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's kind of it. They're all dead, effectively dead, um, or dying, because he literally... The water
0: pours down.
2: He awe-inspiringly destroyed an entire race of creatures that were on their way to extinction already.
0: I, I don't think this is the entire race. I think this was a group of them.
2: Well, they said they were dying out, and this right. is kind of their Hail Mary. Right. So I think we're expected to think this is all of them. But this may be a splinter group, I don't know, whatever. He he kills all of the ones that are on this city. Yes. Any way you slice it, he commits mass murder <laughs> of this species. <laughs> Uh, be- it's
0: mild genocide <laughs>
2: mild, just, just, just a touch of genocide just a taste uh, because I mean besides the fact that they were chasing him and they wanted to imprint him to make him into one of them and I guess they kidnapped all these people I mean they weren't they were, weren't actively trying to harm anything in the way that we aren't actively trying to harm la- lab rats right we're right. not out to eradicate rats
0: or even like oh we're we're developing some buildings uh, in a place that's a forest right now. We're not intentionally uh you know killing off all these creatures. It's you know we're cutting down some trees and leveling the ground to make room for us to use. Yeah. And incidentally, you know Snakes and owls and mice and rabbits and whatever end up dying.
2: Villainous, but it's one of those things where it's anyway. He ends up destroying, effectively destroying all of them. Yeah, freeing the people in the city from their control, also from their support and from their ability to manufacture food, water. Yeah, w- with a very little well, understanding of what is keeping everyone in this city alive,
0: John can do that. He can take over.
2: I guess he would have to. Yeah, because we don't really even talk about like what's maintaining the shield that's keeping the air in, and what's anyway. And he's like, you know what? Oh, Doctor Schreber shows up, and he says, "You you have the power now, John. You can use their you can use their machines. You can make the world whatever you want to." He's like, "You know what I want." I fucking want a beach. (laughs) He makes shell beach.
0: Oh, and then, but, well, it's like, where's Emma?
2: Oh, yeah, but she's already been re-imprinted. So she's Anna now. Yep. She's no longer Emma, the lounge singer. She is Anna, the movie theater attendant. Yep. But he makes this ocean, but he just puts water in the shield. And then he creates, like, some beach. So what happens when the first person swims to the bottom of the ocean and they're like, guys.
0: (laughs) Guys, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to fucking believe it.
2: What's at the bottom of the ocean? I don't know. Sand, shells, whatever. No, no.
0: Space. Space.
2: (laughs) Fucking space is at the bottom of the ocean.
0: It's full of stars. (laughs)
2: I guess it's a problem for another time because he just wants to go to the beach, and then he actually turns the entire city so that there's a sunrise. Yeah, they're
0: a- they're f- close to a star. Yeah, probably for energy. I don't know. They they don't, don't get know. into the mechanism. Of no, they do not. Their energy source. Uh, but yeah, he he rotates the city so that the. Suddenly, and I thought, wow, this is the flat earth metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yes. disc and there is a sun somewhere and <laughs> the disc moves in such a way that you have the a day-night cycle.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he turns it so that there's a sunrise, which I don't know if he sets it to rotate or if he's just like, well, it's been night for like fifteen years, so I think it should be day for fifteen years now. <laughs> Cause then I never have to leave the beach. But he goes to Sunshell Beach. And so
0: when we uh when we cut over to see Anna uh working in the movie uh theater booth, uh she gets off work and she gets on the bus. Uh, and she's like, "Oh, Shell Beach! Huh.
2: I'll go, She'll to go to Shell, Shell Beach.
0: Beach. How much is the fare? Twenty five cents. Okay, great." And so then we cut over to him, and he makes this the city rotate. So now right. the sun is facing it, and he goes out. Well, he op- as he's he walking away, door.
2: like all the rubble and destruction that he created is writing itself. Yes. So he's putting the city back together, and right, he goes he's cleaning up the mess. He goes the same way to Shell Beach that he went before. So he ends up going through the same kind of twisted doorway, and we meet Mr. Hand for one last time. Yep. And Mr. Hand is like, "All I wanted to do was feel like it was what it was like to be you. I wanted to know what it was like to be human, because he's yeah. dying because he was imprinted and because he was imprinted. Yeah. It's he's like dying.
0: the imprinting is." disagreeable with our kind
2: yeah and he's like i just wanted to know what it was like to be human and he's like you think having my memories let you know what it was like to be human and he's like yeah all you guys are is some of your memories and he's like no no we're not he's so like were- you
0: wanted to know what it was like to be human you looked in the wrong place
2: like, you were looking in the wrong place which he
0: doesn't say
2: he says that he says you were looking in the wrong place No, but
0: he doesn't say what the right place is
2: no he just says you were looking in the wrong place.
0: Been waiting for you. Yes,
1: what are you doing? I'm just making a few little changes around here. Is all. are we sure that's what we want? I'm prepared to take my chances. I'm dying, John. Your imprint is not agreeable with my kind, but I wanted to know what it was like. How you feel you know how I was supposed to feel. That person isn't me. It never was. You wanted to know what it was about us that made us human. Well, you're not going to find it in here. You went looking in the wrong place.
2: And then he opens the door, which previously just led to a empty room with a billboard. Right. But now there's sun. There's a narrow beach and a dock. Yeah, which Mr. And is like... <laughs> and he disappears into the shadows. And he goes out and it's just a pier. And at the end of the pier... Is, is Anna. Anna. So at the end he gets the girl. Well, they decide yeah. to go walk to Shell Beach together. Yeah. Because he also made Shell Beach when he got there. He just rose an entire peninsula of land out of the ocean and like
0: a with a lighthouse
2: lighthouse pops up on it
0: and. yeah and and so he's chatting her up and he's like hey uh you know shell beach is around here oh she says yeah it's right over there oh how about that <laughs> oh,
2: which is, thanks I made it this morning <laughs> I'm
0: headed that way myself do you want to come with me
2: <laughs> And so yeah you know, that's the end really yeah. is there there's no real resolution to the fact that we're all on this. Disc, but well, because no one remembers anything different, no one has any memories of their life before. Right. So they but don't even, even
0: if he can drive drive this ship. He he wouldn't. Know nobody where to knows go. where to go. Yeah,
2: he wouldn't know where to go. Um, if there were even any surviving records after he like burned it all down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forcibly destroyed everything that they ever had down there. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a good movie. This is a good. It's as deep as you want it to be, movie, which is what I generally like about a lot of '90s properties. Is just you could watch this movie, just enjoy it, turn it off, and never think about it again. You could fret about the non-granular nature of the memory room and how they mix and distribute memories. However, you want to do it. Uh, and it's just good. I mean, it's a fun, it's entertaining. I missed a couple of vampire people, so I'm going to go back and do that for you now. Uh, Mr. Hand, obviously, is Riff Raff in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Just going to leave it at that. I mean, Rocky Horror That's Picture Show enough. has peaked. We'll just leave it at peak. Uh, Bruce Brents, who's Mr. Wall, um, he was in Queen of the Damned. He okay. was one of the vampires in Queen of the Damned, the, the Queen of the Damned movie. The one that Vigo Mortensen was supposed yeah. to be in, and they he bowed out. They they asked him not to be in it, I think, because he they thought he was going to be too old.
0: Was he supposed to be Lestat?
2: Oh, no, it's the other way around. The guy who played Lestat in Queen of the Damned was supposed to be Aragorn.
0: That's right, Stuart Townsend.
2: Yeah, Stuart Townsend yeah. was supposed to be Aragorn. And they were like, you know what, actually, good. And thank God, because Vigo Mortensen as Aragorn is the role of our generation like absolutely there was no better casting that there was no better casting for that period i i, I received no criticism concerning that that opinion <laughs> it, it's that was peak casting that right there um ian richardson who played mr book initially i thought he was the older vampire guy from dracula untold but it turns out they're not the same person they just look really really alike <laughs> um and he wasn't this one took me two steps, because he was in Brazil with Jonathan Price, who played in Evita with Antonio Banderas, who played Armand in the vampire, di- vampire, Interview with the Vampire. God, I almost said Vampire Diaries, like Antonio Banderas would have been in the Vampire Diaries. Um, yeah, so that was our last. Those were the ones that I missed, which I guess Mr. Sleep, Mr. Sleep is played by twin girls, and they were like obsessed with Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, when they realized they were working with Riff Raff, they got like super excited, which I think is really cute. Like, they kept quoting the movie to him. I think this is just a really good example of that late 90s grunge, noir, dark, gritty, but in the end, optimistic movie.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's probably a distinction from. More recent, yeah. Stuff. This
2: isn't grimdark in the way that, say, Watchmen is grimdark. Right. This is dark as a way of contrasting the hope at the end.
0: Right. And it's all, it's all like internally consistent. Yeah. The vibe is maintained. The themes are all. Um. Complimentary.
2: It's very much a moment. They very much transport us to this reality-adjacent setting where we're in almost a familiar but unfamiliar urban setting. And then they throw this almost improbable, improbable situation at us. And so we're living in this dark reality-adjacent
0: the right. experiential aspect. Right, well, the whole time.
2: It's almost an intentional uncanny valley. It's like taking reality and just turning it 45 degrees. Right. Where this could be any city except the the cars are old but some of the technology is newer. It's deliberately anachronistic. It's taken reality and just turned it like 45 degrees. It's just a little bit off. Right.
0: It's not a hard shift.
2: Right. So we feel that small amount of connection, which grounds us in the setting. But then we get those elements of surrealism, which then create this feeling of instability for the viewer. And so you are in a stable yet unstable situation, which kind of gives you the freedom to accept anything that they're throwing at you. Yeah. So all of these kind of outrageous supernatural elements like in The Crow or in Dark City that they're throwing at you, you're like, okay, fine, I'll run with it. Let's see where this goes. Instead of being immediately like, what, this dude's telekinetic? Fuck this movie.
0: Right, you get eased into the paranormal.
2: Yeah, eased into, but also because they've taken away your sure footing, mm-hmm. you're, willing, you're willing to grasp at anything Th- That's you. what
0: I mean, there's... There's enough familiar for you to be like, okay, th- this makes sense. Yeah. But then there's attached unfamiliar aspects that are like, uh, okay, like I'm now I'm getting stretched by the contrast of the familiar with the just very very slightly unfamiliar. Yeah. And then you're. Your suspension of disbelief can get stretched just that much farther rather than getting like hard pulled from I'm in a dark, noir city yeah. to telekinesis. Yeah. Instead, you're just getting gradually stretched, like scene by scene, yeah. um, rather than uh, like a hard cut over.
2: Would that lead you to classify this kind of movie as a horror movie? Because in the clinical definition of horror, classical definition of horror, it leaves us feeling unsettled in reality, which is what horror is. not about terror or fear. It's about a feeling of being unsettled in what you had accepted as reality.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, and I think if you extend the horror moniker to this movie, you have to give it to the Matrix as well cuz both of them were playing with the idea that the world that you perceive is not the reality that actually exists.
0: Yeah. The the moment when Neo wakes up yeah in the like gel pod is like an existential horror moment because yeah. suddenly the world is not what he thought it was.
2: Yeah, and I think you could draw a lot of parallels between this and the Matrix. where yeah, we're like really, I said at the beginning. Yeah, exactly, you, and you were correct. <laughs> um, we're in this moment of, oh shit, what is reality? All of us are actually simulating reality continuously anyway. That's what your brain and your eyes and everything are doing. So I think we all live in this very, the finest edge of fear that what we're seeing and experiencing and remembering is not correct, is not real, is not reality as it actually is. And so I really like it when directors and stories play with the idea that, yes, you have memories, you remember all of these things, like Bumstead says, he has this accordion, And he says his mom gave him this accordion, and so he carries it with him to remember her by. Because she
0: recently passed away.
2: But he can't remember when she gave him the accordion. And it
0: unsettles him that he can't remember.
2: Yeah. And so he has these memories which feel concrete and feel real, but he is unsettled because he's not sure if these memories are even real. Spoiler alert, they're not. Which is the whole point of this movie, but I think that's why I like this movie so much. Is because, really, if I'm in a mood to just have a shallow, just to sit and watch and enjoy a movie, you can. If you want to, right? Spend it's enjoyable time at, multiple at many levels. levels of yeah. an- of if analysis. you want to really dive into the existential nihilisticness of the movie, you can. Either way you want to go, you can. And I think that's what makes it good. Is there a way we can reboot this movie that makes it better? besides the memory mixing scene. I think increasing the scope of the city. Making its it bigger? It's very tight, it's very close, it's very dark, which works. But then when we get the final reveal of how big the city is, ultimately it's not that big.
0: I think um, something else that would add to the, the movie would be some glimpse, some other details about their overall strategy.
2: Yeah, and also like who they are, where they come from. More information about the strangers.
0: Um, even more information about the strangers? I don't know that that would help much. Maybe a little more about why they're struggling as a race to survive.
2: Yeah, fleshing out that whole element of the story.
0: But m- more information about what is their strategy? L- like What are the tactics that they are performing to reach their end goal?
2: Yeah, maybe actually seeing them follow up on some of the scenarios. Maybe even
0: some kind of diagramming of, okay, these scenarios lead, like, branching off to these scenarios, and even, like, maybe, like, a big tree diagram of, like, okay, and like, a whole bunch grayed out because those weren't working, and so now we have these other branches, and they would... My sense of why they're struggling is because their collective consciousness, collective memory, hive mind, whatever, they're not good at doing a whole bunch of different things.
2: Yeah, because you are really if, only one person. If you,
0: if you get 10 people together and ask them to come up with a different, like each do something different, uh, in a given situation, you'll have, like, 15 scenarios. Yeah. Whereas this group, this species, it's, it's a collective mind.
2: There's only one of them.
0: There's only going to be one. So they're bad at doing a whole lot of variation. Yeah. And so when they do, like, variation on their experiments strategy whatever it would have to be very deliberate very analytical
2: yeah so not sacrificing our glimpse of their overall process for the vibe right i feel like we gave up seeing more about what they are doing and what they're capable of doing and what they're hoping to achieve so that we can continue to maintain this like to have the creepy clubhouse yeah. you can't have the creepy clubhouse if you have like a big lab where you're all working on it, so I think we sacrificed for the vibe, and maybe not. Maybe maybe we thread in some more of the, the idea of what their process is, so we can see it. Right. Yeah, I get it. That would totally make more sense. You would, you, and
0: wouldn't have to be like. It doesn't could, have
2: to be overt. It could just be in it the could background. Be
0: like. You know, three 10-second clips yeah. of just stuff in the background.
2: Or them following up on a scenario. Imply, There you go. Them just showing up like, and reviewing, reviewing data. Reviewing observations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you get a sense that they're all... Right now, it feels like all of them just stand around. <laughs> and the, Dr. It, it Schreiber feels does like all the work. They're just
0: changing stuff, just to change it. Yeah. And they're not actually following up on anything.
2: Right. We don't even really get the sense that John was what they were ultimately hoping for. That they were hoping to teach a human to tune. Do You get a sense that that was a fluke and they're willing to capitalize on it, but that wasn't actually what, what they were there for. Right. Yeah. All right. I guess we could wrap this up. If you enjoyed this discussion and you want to know what we're going to be doing next week, because this was a sci-fi, which means next week will be fantasy. So, oh, we actually have someone to shout out on this show. Oh. Because somebody guessed. Somebody guessed our movie. Okay, so we actually have somebody to shout out because they guessed the movie. I've been teasing the movies on Instagram. And Deadly Dinks guessed that this was going to be Dark City. So congratulations to Deadly Dinks for calling it out for me. <laughs> Woo! Um, fan interaction. Fan interaction. Uh, I have been teasing the movies. I'm trying to get more interactive um, on Instagram. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Strange and Beautiful Book Club on Instagram. We also have a website, strangeandbeautiful.club, and all of our links are there. So if you're having a hard time finding me on Instagram, I literally have an embed of the Instagram feed. feed feed on the website so you can go there and just click and there we are Uh, we also have a link to the submission page if you want to go on and submit something Um, and now you can actually credit yourself in the submission so that i can give you credit which would be really great shout out shout out we also have a patreon which coming up here pretty soon we're going to start having some patreon exclusive episodes so this is a really good time to avoid to to join the Patreon and avoid the rush uh, because spots are not limited at all and you can join at any time. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a Discord which you can get on and interact with us in real life. There's a bunch of other perks too. Um, eventually we will probably do advertising for the show. So once we do that, it'll be nice. You can go there, join, get ad-free shows. Um yeah it's just a it's a way of supporting us supporting what we're doing if you're enjoying the content we're producing, I highly encourage you to go over I have a low tier I have a dollar a month tier um, it just gets you like street cred but hey sometimes street street creds great gets you uh, recognition dollars which you can spend all over the place not at all um, but they're there if you want to go and join. Matt is a member of the one dollar a month tier
0: It was a quality test
2: yeah. These are only $1 a month tier member, in fact. The henchmen. Hench people. Hench humans. Hench humans. That's what they're called. Uh, I'm going to be getting better about updating the Patreon. I also joined a couple of other things that I'm going to be poking around and playing with, and so I'll announce more about that stuff later. And I'm not lying. The pod is going to split eventually. I'm just not ready. I want to feel like we're ready. I want to feel like I have a way of announcing to the audience where we've gone, because I don't want to build our 20-some people that listen to it (laughs) just about (laughs) every week, and then suddenly disappear, and they're like, well, well, that that was a great podcast. They must have stopped updating. So I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. I'm not going to do it, but I'm not going to do it right now.
0: Maybe once the pod lab is finished.
2: Yeah. Maybe once the pod lab is finished, which it's coming right along. It's all wired. We've got outlets and lights. We've got
0: electricity and lights. Yeah,
2: moving right (laughs) along. Got to finish the door. Yeah, we got stuff to do, but we're working on it. I took a picture of Matt working on it, but I always have to clear it with him before I post it on Instagram. So we'll see. (laughs) He just gave me a look. I just said I was going to clear it with you. Me while I was working, honey. Always taking pictures of you when you're not paying attention. Oops, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well,
0: remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too.
2: So be who you are. And love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.
1: We're very lucky when you think about it.
2: I'm sorry? To be able to
1: revisit those places which have meant so very much to us. I thought it was more that we were haunted by them. Perhaps. But imagine a life alien to yours in which your memories were not your own, but those shared by every other of your kind. Imagine the torment of such an existence. No experiences to call your own.
2: If it was all you knew, maybe it would be a comfort.
1: But if you were to discover something different, something better,